0: But we're going this afternoon to look at that new orientation, and that new song is a song that you can sing when you've been through that place of disorientation. You might sing it before, but now you sing it with meaning, with feeling, with reality, with truth, with understanding, and therefore the song has great, greater power and uh, greater effect. So I think this song you will know, When I Was Lost, You Came and Rescued Me, Reached Down into the Pit. And lifted me, O Lord, such love. Shall we stand and sing this together?
1: Plus you came and rescued me. Reached down into the pit and lifted me. O Lord, such love. I was as far from you as I could be. You know all the things I've ever done, but Jesus' blood has cancelled everyone. Oh Lord, such grace to qualify me as your own. There is a new song in my mouth, there is a deep cry in my heart, a hymn of praise. To Almighty God, Hallelujah! <clears throat> On this rock my life is laid. now in Christ, in God, the old has gone, and the new has come. Hallelujah! Has lifted me. Coming to your family for the Son of God has died for me. Oh Lord, such peace I am as loved by you as I could be in the full assurance of your love with every confidence we come, oh Lord, such joy to know that you delight in me. A new song in my heart There is a deep cry in my heart A hymn of praise To Almighty God, hallelujah Firm on this rock My life is hidden now With Christ in God the old is gone And the new has come Hallelujah
0: I think we'll leave it there. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the wonderful truth that you have lifted us, Lord. You've taken us out of the pit and put our feet on solid ground again. We thank you that you're constantly at work to do that. And even though in your love and mercy and wisdom and grace you lead us into dark and deep places and scary places sometimes, Lord, it's not that to abandon us or to leave us there, but to bring us up again in that resurrection power. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we may know you in the fullness, sharing the fellowship of your sufferings, but also knowing the might of that resurrection power released in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So we're going to turn now to Psalm 30, which is a song of deliverance. So it's one of the psalms that reflect the new orientation Psalms of disorientation tend to be written in the present tense. It's something that is happening right now. So there is a presentness about those psalms. Whereas the psalms of new orientation actually use a lot of the past tense. I was in a difficult situation, but now I have been delivered, I have been set free. So this is a song of uh, deliverance and it comes from the pen of uh, David. The title says it's a psalm, a song for the dedication of the temple of David. Uh, Most scholars think that the the dedication of the temple really should be the the dedication of his house. David had a house built but he didn't build the temple, that was Solomon. So the Hebrew is a little bit unclear as to what it actually means but Uh, Probably at the dedication of his house, David shares this testimony, this story, reflecting his own experience of disorientation and how God came to rescue him. It's a story of restoration through grace. And it's written after the event. So this is now looking back with hindsight. Sometimes, spiritual formation is best seen best understood with hindsight at the time we don't always know jesus said to his disciples you do not know at the moment what i'm doing but afterwards you will know you'll understand it later on and sometimes we just kind of have to hang on in there until the darkness passes until the moment changes And uh, God comes to rescue us and then we can look back and say, oh, now I see it. Now I understand it. But at the time, we may not indeed understand it. So it's written uh, after the event. So let's have a look first of all, Psalm 30 verses 1 to 3. Here's David's testimony. And the great thing, one of the gifts that comes to us through times of disorientation is that eventually we will have a story to tell that we could not say before, but we can say now of God's deliverance. Salvation is not just about being delivered from your sins. It's an ongoing experience of knowing the deliverance of God at work in your life. So David says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. So we're not given the specifics of David's experience. If you know the story of David, he had many uh, periods of darkness and of despair uh, within his own life of failure and disobedience as well. We're not sure of the context of it. He's speaking in general terms. But we know it was a deep and a powerful experience and and God had to come and rescue him. So he uses three metaphors, three pictures to help us to understand. The first picture is that of rescue. This was a rescue. You lifted me out of the depths. The Psalms that I use in the book all have this experience Expression out of the depths, I call to you, O God. These are deep places where the writers find themselves, and David found himself in the depths. The picture, maybe, is the one that might be familiar to us from the story of Joseph, who was thrown into the bottom of a well there to die. Or of Jeremiah, who suffered a similar fate. He was thrown into a well, and if you're in the bottom of a well, you cannot get yourself out of it. You are in the depths. But David says, that's what it felt like. It was as if somebody came and put a rope down and rescued me and lifted me out of that. You lifted me out of the depths. It was a great rescue. A great salvation experience, lifted like a bucket from the well. Psalm 40 talks about that as well. Secondly, it was like an experience of healing. I called to you for help and you healed me. It could be that David was physically sick and God healed him and God does heal. And maybe God experienced that healing, that physical touch. But maybe that's a metaphor for any kind of pain and turmoil that we may find ourselves in, maybe it's an emotional healing, maybe it's a mental heal- healing, maybe it's a kind of spiritual healing. David thought he was going to die. I called you for help, but you healed me. And then the third picture is that of resurrection. You brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. The pit in Hebrew understanding was the place of the departed shale it was this kind of no man's land really when you despair of life itself the depths of despair the depths of depression but what did God do God brought him up it's a resurrection that he experiences and all of those are things that God does in our lives. And and we experience these when we ourselves are in that time of disorientation. There is a divine intervention, there is an act of grace, there is a reaching out on the part of God, doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You can't make it happen, all you can do is to wait for it, but in God's own time, in God's own way, He intervenes, He rescues us, He lifts us up, He heals us, He sets us free. That's David's wonderful testimony. He wants to share his testimony with other people, see what God has done for me. My enemies did not get the better over me. God came to my rescue. So there's a wonderful testimony. But then there is a lesson to be learned. And out of these experiences in the depth come these treasures of darkness, these lessons we can learn no other way. These understandings of God and His ways that are communicated to us through lived experience. Things we know to be true because they happen to us. And things which then form the bedrock of our faith and our understanding to God. And David calls others to join in this praise and to learn the lesson that he has learned. Sing the praises of the Lord, you his faithful people. Praise his holy name. So he wants to be in the assembly of God's people and he wants to make known what he has learnt about God. And here is this abiding lesson. And it's a wonderful lesson. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. It's very similar to that one we saw in Psalm 126, isn't it? You know, those who sow in tears shall reap with songs of joy. That's a lesson that is learned through disorientation, something you know to be true. Well, here's another one. His anger lasts only a moment, (coughs) but his favour lasts a lifetime. The first part of that verse looks at it from God's perspective is anger is only for a moment. We need to explain that word anger because I find nowadays people misunderstand the Bible when it talks about the anger of God. They kind of think of anger in human terms. You know, if somebody's an angry person, they kind of fly off the handle, they go into a rage very easily, they're quite easily upset and so on. And people read that into the anger of God. The anger of God is not like that at all. God is not irrational. He isn't short-tempered. He doesn't have a short fuse and easily gets upset with you. God is not like that. He's patient and long-sufferings. It can't mean that. The anger of God is his settled opposition to anything in our lives that would prevent us from becoming the people he wants us to be and doing the things that he wants us to do. His anger is actually an expression of his love. Because he sees something better for us than we would often choose for ourselves, and so he opposes it. But David said his anger, his righteous anger, his loving opposition to what I'm doing, it only lasts for a moment, it's just briefly, but the opposite is that his favour lasts for a lifetime. (laughs) His grace and His mercy pours towards me consistently, unconditionally, forever and ever. So yes, it seemed as if God were angry for a moment, but it was only a moment. His favor is guaranteed for a lifetime. The second part of the verse looks at this truth from the human point of view, from David's own experience. Here he says, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Yes, you may shed your tears, but it won't be forever. It will be short-lived. Why? Because there will be daybreak. Rejoicing will come in the morning. Now that's not talking literally about a 24-hour period. It's just saying, yes, there may be times of mourning, there may be times of grief and of loss and of of, of weeping, but that will not be the whole story. This resurrection life will break through and joy will come again in the morning. So as the other psalm said, yes, you may sow in tears, but you will, you will reap with joy. These are abiding truths for us to take hold of. And maybe today you need to take hold of that verse. Maybe your experience has been one of weeping for the night. You may even have been weeping last night. But remember this, joy will come in the morning. That's what David says. That's where our hope springs from. That's where our confidence lies in this great truth. His anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. A lesson to be learned. And then David reflects on his past experience. And first of all, he reflects on his own folly and foolishness. the reason that God took him into that deep place was to deal with his pride. To deal with his pride. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. But when you hid your face... I was dismayed. What's going on here? Well, what's going on is this. David has become very proud. He has interpreted the favor of God as his actual own doing. And he has begun to take credit for what he should have given glory to God. He felt secure. And when we feel secure, we are likely to think, I'll never be shaken. That's what David felt. I'm strong enough. I'm, look, you see, I've defeated the Philistines. I've done this, I've done that. See all my conquests? See, David believed his own publicity. They used to say, you know, Saul has killed his thousands. David killed his ten thousands. Whoopee. And David began to believe that about himself. I'm confident. I'm capable. I can make it happen. That's why su- success is such a deceptive thing. Because when you have success, things go well in ministry, you gain a name, a reputation, you are likely, quite subtly, to think that somehow this was something to do with you. It was not, of course, it was all of God, but you very subtly may think, yeah, this is actually something to do with me. I know a thing or two here, you know. When I felt secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you favoured me, you made my royal mountain stand firm. In other words, God had given him one thing after another, one success, one victory after another. Here was this mountain of success, and he calls it my mountain of success. (laughs) This is what I've achieved. This is what I've done. Pride is such a subtle thing, isn't it? It's the greatest enemy of the soul. It was the reason that Lucifer was cast out of heaven, the most beautiful of all God's angels, because he said, I will be as God. And because of his pride, he was cast down from heaven. And pride is so rooted in human nature that if we get a bit, a little bit of success, it can go to our heads and we quickly think, oh, I'm something special. That's what happened for David. And you see, if there's one thing that God will oppose in your life and my life, it will be pride. Because it's the exact opposite of the kingdom of God which is built around humility. So, Peter says, God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble. And if you or I start to become proud, start to take the credit that really should be given to God, if we begin to think we are something special, more than we actually are, be sure of this, that the wind of God will blow in your face. Adversity will come. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before something else. I can't remember what it is. (laughs) But you know the saying. If your balloon gets too big, God will burst it. If you think you're something high and mighty God will trip you up and bring you into that time of disorientation. You see, all it took for God in verse 7 was this but when you hid your face I was dismayed. In other words, all it needed was for God just to withdraw that favour for a brief moment and suddenly David's empire came crashing down because it wasn't his doing. It's a very painful lesson to learn, but many of us have to learn that lesson. John Stott, the great preacher and writer, <clears throat> was here in London for many years, said this, Pride will be your greatest enemy, and humility your dearest friend. Pride your greatest enemy, humility your dearest friend. But the human heart is kind of more geared towards pride than it is towards humility. And it's only sometimes when we experience humiliation that we become humble. And what God is looking to form in us through times of disorientation is something about our character. He's wanting the life of Jesus to be formed in us. And Jesus said, I am meek and lowly of heart. If there is one thing that sums up the character of Jesus, one thing that sums up his life, And life in the kingdom, it is humility. And sometimes we have to learn humility the hard way. We have to learn it the hard way. David had to learn it the hard way. The foolishness of his pride. The message translates that verse, Then you looked the other way, and I fell to pieces. That's all it takes, for God to look the other way. And it can all come crashing down. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So, alongside that, David reflects on the impact that that made in his life. So, verses 8 to 10, I've called it the brokenness of self. He is broken by God. Not crushed, but broken. It's his pride, his ego, his self-confidence that actually God has been dealing with, he recognizes it. Verse 8, To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Here is that humility being formed in his soul. We don't know what the experience was. We don't know how long it lasted. But it lasted long enough and was severe enough for David actually to reach the bottom. He got to the bottom. And God is that kind of God. He works in a very thorough kind of way. He's a bit like my dentist. My dentist always wants to get to the bottom of any decay that there is. I'd like him to stop a bit sooner, but he's a Terry. He will not. He wants to get... He goes on and on and on. And in a sense, God wants to do a thorough and deep work in us. Because only when you have been humbled... Only when pride has been broken within you can you then carry the weight of any success that God gives you without it corrupting you, without it spoiling you. That's why God invests so much in this whole process of character formation. You see, we focus on giftedness. We appreciate gifted people and gifted people often get on really well simply because they are gifted and their gifts make room for them and they gain a place and a position and they become known and, and so all that kind of thing. But God is concerned about your character, who you are becoming. That's what matters. And so God will do this thorough work of humbling us and, and David eventually came to that place where he cried out to God, to you, Lord, I called, to the Lord I cried. What for? For mercy. I need mercy. I need you, Lord, to look in favor and in pity and compassion upon me because of the state of my own heart. That's what I need. I need mercy, God. I love these twin concepts of mercy and grace. They go together. They're like twin sisters, mercy and grace. Nowadays we focus on grace almost exclusively. Grace, the unconditional love of God. Grace, the favor of God coming towards you. We speak about grace so much that we feel grace actually becomes our right. That we have a right to it. This blessing and favor of God. We think that way because we forget mercy. Mercy always must come first. What I need first is mercy. Mercy means that God does not give me what I do deserve. Grace means God gives me what I don't deserve. In other words, mercy means God doesn't give me the punishment that I deserve. Grace means it gives me the blessing that I could never deserve. Mercy comes first. That's why in your tradition, you have this wonderful tradition of the mercy seat. Do you know, I've known a little song all my life. It's a song that's meant a great deal for me. And I was teaching it to our church just a a few months ago. And it's this little song, All your anxieties, all your care. Bring to the mercy seat leave them there, never a burden he cannot bear, never a friend like Jesus. I had no idea that that was a Salvation Army song until this year. And when I looked it up I discovered it was and I discovered that the mercy seat is this mercy seat. I was thinking of it in terms of Hebrews where you know, there is uh, the throne of God and the, the mercy seat then, and I suppose it refers to both of those things really. Maybe, I don't know, maybe in your tradition you have a better understanding of mercy than many of us do. But mercy is what we need most of all, and first of all, grace comes second. And if you forget mercy, you may well turn grace into something that you feel you have a right to have. But grace is always undeserved favor. And David says, God, I need your mercy, I need your forgiveness. And we know that David... You know, sin with Bathsheba. We know that he not only committed adultery with her, but he organized for her husband to be murdered. How far did he fall? He fell a great deal. This man whose heart was after God, and yet still he fell. And even when we have a heart after God, we're not above temptation. The Bible says sin is couching at the door. It's always couching at the door. Particularly when you're in ministry, sin couches at your door. Because Satan knows, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. If Satan can attack a leader and tempt a leader into sin, then that is going to cause disruptions all around. That's why we come under greater temptation. And that's why we need to have this humble heart that says, God, I don't trust myself. God, I need your mercy, your grace to be at work. That's why we need to come to that throne of grace to find mercy and receive grace to help us in our time of need. That's what David discovered. To you, Lord, I call, to the Lord I cried for mercy. His reasoning is this God, if 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 I die at this moment, if I am silenced, then I'll not be able to praise you. And that's what you created me for, to praise you. He has this sense that that his work is not done, there is more to do And he can only do that if God steps into his life. Well, this cry for mercy is heard. Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. And if there's one deep lesson that comes out of times of disorientation, it is that we must be dependent upon God. Without him, we cannot do it. Only with his help, with his grace, with his strength... Can we live this life and carry out this ministry? This is what's being formed within us in those deep places. We're learning humility. We're learning dependency. Our character is changing. We're being formed. We're being shaped. The brokenness of self. So that's from David's backwards looks. Those are some of the things that he sees. But then finally, the faithfulness of God. Here is the return to Testimony. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. That my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. This is the wonderful transformation. You see, when he was in the pit of despair, when he was down in the dumps, as it were, He was full of wailing. Maybe he was wearing sackcloth, quite literally. But God has turned his wailing into dancing. David was a great dancer, wasn't he? David was an extrovert. You know, when he worshipped, he really worshipped. When he danced, people were were surprised at him. The king was so expressive in what he did. He wasn't afraid. He danced with all his heart. He danced because this deliverance had taken place in his own life. He knew what had happened, what had taken place. You turn my wailing down. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. There's a clothing. He takes from us the spirit of heaviness and he puts upon us the garments of praise. So we return to that place place of praise. Remember that's where we started in Psalm 145. Oh Lord, I will exalt you forever and so on. I will praise you every day. Well, this is the same kind of place, except, except it's different because it's deeper. It's more heartfelt. It's come out of experience that really appreciates what God has done in my life. And it's a deeper kind of praise, and it's a richer kind of praise. And there's a new song. He puts a new song in our mouths. And that song is getting Deeper. All the time you remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Now I spend a lot of time telling people to be silent because I lead people on silent retreats <laughs> and I really see the value of silence. Silence is a wonderful thing. Be still and know that I am God. When you're in the presence of God, sometimes silence is the best response because it expresses humility and dependency and all those other things. But there's a time to be silent and there's a time to sing. And this moment is a time to sing. Sing your praises and not be silent. It's a choice, it's a discipline, it's something we do. We choose to let the high praises of God be on our mouth. We're trying to learn this in the church that I uh, belong to. Just a small church up in, up in Yorkshire. And uh, God has been speaking to us at the start of this year about praising Him more. We do praise God, but it's about recovering this place of praise that looks right in the face of difficulty right in the face of the opposition of the enemy and says you know what we're going to praise God with everything that we have that's what David is doing that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent Lord my God I will praise you forever so here is David that's his journey he's been to the bottom and he's come out again on the other side And he's changed, and he's different, and he thanks God for his experience, and he understands what God has done, how God has humbled him, how God has changed him, how God has dealt with his pride, and then how God has rescued him, so he's over this other side. And it looks the same, but it's different, it's much deeper. This is someone who has been refined and purified, this is someone whose heart has been changed, and As we said right at the beginning, in the course of a lifetime we may have two, three, four of this kind of deep experiences. One sense it's happening every day in small ways but in these large ways it's not happening all the time because these experiences can last a long time. But what we're learning is that weeping may tarry for a night but joy, joy comes in the morning. That's a gem to take with you today weeping may tarry for a night but joy comes in the morning and the other gem is that those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy, believe it it's God's word now here's some time for you to share again and just finish off your thoughts couple of questions uh, based on the psalm at the bottom uh, of the bottom of the page there JB, just share anything from that psalm that stands out for you, that is a lesson for you today. But then, will you think together just about this question of pride and how to deal with pride and how to identify pride? How to create humility uh, in your life? That's the two things to to pray about so it's 20 past two now we'll go until half past if we can so that gives you 10 minutes to do that is that all right just give you that time and then i'll call us back together again so continue with the people you were with if possible and uh, share some more of yeah. time I hope you've um, enjoyed and appreciated the opportunity to talk together with others and to share your thoughts and reflections and uh, responses. This has come to the end. And I just want to again just give opportunity for any questions if you need clarification, if there's anything not clear. I don't mind just to take a moment to go over anything. Maybe too big a group for questions just to clarify then what comes out of the this experience of disorientation what is it that is distilled in us well first of all it is this character change that God is actually forming the life of his son within us that word forming suggests some degree of pressure doesn't it Like the potter with the clay, there's a forming, a shaping, but it requires a certain pressure, the hand of God upon your life. And that character is formed within us, uh, and it's formed very often in these deep places. So that humility, that dependency, that self-awareness, that kind of trust, character change. But also with it comes this new understanding, there are insights that we gain, truths that we begin to possess simply because we have lived in that place. So we know joy will come in the morning, weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes in the morning. That's a truth that is distilled, it's the wisdom of lived experience that is given to you. In the darkness, the treasure that comes to you, it's your truth, it's what you know to be true because you've lived it and God proved himself in that kind of way. That's revelation knowledge. It's not head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. Sometimes with it comes mystery and not knowing. God enlarges our understanding of him so that we know we can't fathom everything that he does. His greatness cannot be fathomed. And we become more at ease with mystery and not knowing. More willing to trust, even though we can't make sense of it. So there's a new understanding and there is this deepened experience, this surge of resurrection life that is only possible because we've been to the place of death. Death is at work in us, Paul says, so that life may be at work in you. It's, life is being released from us, this, that surge of new, there's a new song on our lips we sing with greater authority. And uh, you know friends, this pattern is actually at work in the world. It's at work in people who aren't believers as well. Because this is how God, God has put this into the world. It's in the world of nature, it's in life in general and you can see this truth in many places my wife and I were watching uh, the BBC drama War and Peace uh, which is uh, a Russian story by Tolstoy and it's about the aristocracy in Russia at the time when Napoleon was invading from France Uh, I have to say when it began I didn't really like it I didn't find any character that I could identify with I thought they were all quite debauched and it was uh, I thought well, I'm not going to watch six episodes of this but actually we persevered a little bit and I'm glad we did because as the story developed then you began to see <clears throat> what was happening to these people in particular <clears throat> one of the leading characters is a man called Pierre Bazukov in some ways is a kind of hapless character and he suffers a lot through his own folly, and because he's easy and manipulated, he inherits a fortune that um, really shouldn't have been his. But anyway, he comes across and he becomes a count, and he has this wealth, and he marries this wife who is completely unfaithful, and she's just married him because of his money, and, and he lets her do all kinds of things. And he's just a hapless kind of idealist, really. Uh, not much to him at all. But as the story moves on, and as the French close into Moscow, uh, he actually finds himself imprisoned by the French and he's at, kind of at rock bottom. And is in the prison cell and there's another prisoner who uh, takes pity on him. And this other prisoner uh, shares with him a potato. That's all they have to eat and he shares his potato. And Bazukov is just amazed that this man should share his potato with him when they've got nothing to eat, but he halves it and and Bazukov is ready to kind of stuff it into his mouth because he's famished. And, and the man says, no, no, wait, wait, wait. And he takes out, it's got a little bit of grain of salt and they put salt on the potato. And then he says, now eat it slowly, eat it slowly. Because when you're famished, you don't want to eat slowly. And he begins to taste it and it's so wonderful. And he learns so much from this time in prison and from this other prisoner in particular. And, and the story goes on. Anyway, when it concludes, uh, he is reflecting on his life and he says some words which I just found so deeply moving fortunately we had recorded it and I got my wife to play it back and I was writing down these words as he spoke them I said back, 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 back a bit, back a bit more <laughs> took us ages to get the words anyway I thought I must share that with you today so reflecting on his life and the change that has taken place in him through his humiliation this is what he said They say sufferings are misfortunes. But if I was asked, would I stay as I was before I was a prisoner, or go through it all again, I would say, for God's sake, let me be a prisoner again. Why? Because he had learnt something. It had been a gift to him. He was changed by his experience. Let me be a prisoner again. And then he says this, when our lives are knocked off course we imagine everything in them as lost it is only the start of something new and good as long as there is life there is happiness there is a great deal a great deal still to come when our lives are knocked off course Sometimes our lives are knocked off course and you will be ministering to people whose lives have been knocked off course. But what we know is that that is not the end. We imagine everything is lost, but it isn't. There are treasures to be found even in the darkness. And weeping may tarry for a night, but joy will come in the morning. I hope today has helped with your own journey. This may be relevant to you right now at this moment in your pilgrimage. It may be relevant for the future. Take it with you, try and absorb it and have it in readiness for when the moment should come and you need it again. I hope today will give you a little bit of a a hunger to know the Psalms. In the Anglican tradition, an Anglican priest is encouraged, they don't all do this but many of them do, to read the Psalms morning and evening every day. So they are soaking themselves in the Psalms, just imbibing the very atmosphere of the Psalms, because this is life with God. I'm sure if you want to have a soul that is fully formed, the Psalms will be a great help to you. We're going to pray. Are we? We're going to worship, are we? Yeah, um, so. yeah. Yeah. Just before we okay, conclude with
2: worship, I've just asked Naomi. If she'll just come and share some words of thanks. And then we'll finish today with words. And Tony's going to
3: pronounce the benefits. I thought that would be a nice way to finish today. But Naomi's just going to say some thanks on Calvary. Tony, we just want to thank you you so much for coming here today. Thank you for um, travelling all the way down here. Um, It's been great to hear a non-London accent. (laughs) Um, And it's just been great to hear all that you have to say. Um, Thank you, Naomi. I think it's wonderful to. There there was quite a buzz on Facebook before you came here. Lots of people recommending books, lots of these people sitting in this room just Mm now. And I know that certainly your books have impacted a lot of people that are sitting here. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that are sitting clutching this book, very excited to to read it as well. And so we thank you for that.
0: Thank you, Naomi.
3: We just thank God for the the gifts that He's given you and bringing it to us that you just make it so clear that it's not about your words, it's about his words, and yeah. you're just helping us to understand yeah. them better. Thank you. And I think everyone That's in this right. room can identify with, with what you've put up there and with what you've told us today, and I just thank you for thank that. Thank you, Naomi. Um, you. I just wonder, before we do go into sung worship, can we pray for you just Please, yes. Are there special things you'd yes, like there are. to pray for? Um,
0: just this uh, year, my wife has been diagnosed with a return of her breast cancer. She had breast cancer six years ago. Uh, so sadly it's come back so she's in the middle of uh, chemotherapy Um, this week is a she has two weeks of treatment and then a a week off (laughs) this is a week off Um, but she's doing quite well but again for us that's a a big challenge to go through and uh, we just know that God is able so maybe you could pray for us in that
3: great well do thank you I just wonder instead of thanking Tony the uh, applause just feel like that's not appropriate
0: Uh, yes i don't need that And
3: i just yeah and i think i think that's really important and i just ask maybe if you'd like to stand with me as we pray as our way just thank you you.
0: yeah
3: thank you father god we just bring tony before Mm. you just now we thank you for the humble man that he is and lord we just thank you so much for his gifting Mm. and teaching and reading your word and interpreting your word and just for bringing that to us and for bringing us the the excitement about your scripture as well, Lord. Lord, just now we bring his wife to Mm, you. Evelyn. Lord, we just pray for Evelyn, Mm. that you look after her, Mm. that during her treatment, Lord, we know that that will be tough for her, that you care for her, that you nurture her and that you help Tony as well mm. and the wider family Thank you, Lord. just to be at her side supporting mm. her whether that's from across the world in Australia mm. Lord mm. or from within Yorkshire mm. or further but Lord we just pray that you are with that family mm. that you look after them mm. that you restore her health mm. and Thank Father God, God for his children as well mm. we just pray that it's really so heavy on Tony's heart mm. that they're not in a current mm. relationship with mm. you that they realise but Lord, I just pray that thank they can you Lord. break through to yes, them. Yes,
4: Lord. Just thank you, Lord. look
3: after them. Yes. And just speak to them in a way that they can understand for the right Lord. people in their lives that will speak mm. your word to them as mm. well. But Lord, for the beautiful family that he's part of, we just pray your love into mm. every situation thank you, that Lord. they find themselves in. We thank you for them. Amen.
0: Amen. Thank you, Naomi. Bless you. Give me a hug. <laughs> thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
2: Thanks. Um, you can remain standing, we worship. I would just like to say um, a great thank you to anybody who's helped to put this day together. So thank you for those who made sure the hall was tidy, uh, for the worship band, for Susan doing the books, for those who gave out the leaflets. If I've forgotten anybody, um, please know that I am very grateful. Um, for all that you've done um, for today um, the, the artwork that's around is left from spiritual day yesterday for those of you who are visiting please take time to look at the uh, graffiti art that was done as part of pastoral practice and um, the posters that are part of um, a Lent um, reflection uh, series of posters um, but thank you for coming, thank you for those who've made the special effort of taking a day out and I do pray that God will continue to bless you in your ministry and I'm now going to pass over to the worship team, thank you thank you for the
4: Me from my sin. He- Thank you This. All I want once held dear, all I once held dear, built my life upon, all oh, this world's real My joy, my righteousness and I love And I love you, Lord Oh, to know the power of your risen life And to know you in your sufferings To become like you in your day. With you to live and never die. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my own, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. I love you Lord Knowing you Jesus
1: Knowing you
4: There is no greater thing You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness and I
0: together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of being here today with this company of men and women whose lives are given to you and to your service. I thank you for the call of God that rests upon them. And I thank you with that calling comes grace which is sufficient. I thank you that you will enable and empower. We pray, Lord, for this time of transition that many find themselves in, that next week when appointments are given to those who are leaving the college and others who may be in ministry already but are moving on, that, Lord, they will see in that the hand of God leading and guiding them, reminding them that there's no place where you are not, that you already go ahead of them to prepare the way and your grace will be sufficient for them. And, Lord, as we live this life of service and share this this common desire to be like Jesus. We pray that indeed his likeness may be formed within us, Lord. And when we find ourselves in these deep and difficult places where we feel lonely and afraid, we pray that you would strengthen us and that your word would come to help us, that we may remember that weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes in the morning, that those who sow with tears of joy shall reap with shouts of gladness. May that be our experience. And now may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit rest, remain, and abide with each one of us forevermore. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you.